it seems a little bit muted. For me, it's, I come from Westminster Chapel. Uh, I've been in Westminster Chapel for two years, and I said to Westminster Chapel when I first got there, I'd like you to turn the volume up. Uh, there's a little, if you never noticed this before, on your throat, there's a little volume button. If you just turn it slightly more up, then you will gain the benefit of better, more encouraging feelings as you... I mean, when we said, wasn't the worship great this morning, it was like, yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll give it a two out of ten. That worship was wonderful. And if you're thinking, oh, I think I could have done better than Mark this morning, I noticed it, you try it. Your legs turn to jelly when you're standing here. You're, you've got monkeys juggling knives in your head. You, it's really hard <laughs> to try and think straight when you're here. Believe me. And uh, so I would just encourage you to just get a little bit more vocal. Can you do that for me this morning? Yeah. Yeah. OK, six of you are going to do that. That's great. How about the rest of you? Can the rest of you do that? Yeah. Good. That's good. There's a verse in the Bible... And uh, well, it's quite a few actually. I'm glad you're going to look at. <laughs> I'm glad you're going to look at the Bible next week because uh, it's a good book to look at and uh, give yourself a lot of time looking at it. And uh, make sure you've got a Bible. Can I just say that? If there's any of you sort of millennials here who think, actually, I just want an iPad and just flick up a verse and change it, a well-thumbed, ruffled Bible, Spurgeon would say, is a sign of a well-ordered, quiet, peaceful life. You should have your Bible. I mean, your Bible should be full of scribblings and underlinings and cross-referencing. And I mean, they're brilliant things. The Bible is wonderful. It's the Word of God. It's the revealed Word of God. So giving yourself to it, absolutely fantastic. And there is a verse in the Bible that I'm going to just refer to this morning, which is found in the beginning of Acts when the Holy Spirit comes and uh, Peter is going to uh, explain what this is. And he, said, he says this, Joel, this is all to do with the Old Testament. He said, Joel saw this day coming in the last days. And he says, in the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And your young men, your young women are going to do what? What are they going to see? Because you're well taught here, you're going to tell me. Visions, very good. So, so young people, very good. Excellent. I'm glad I've got someone paying attention. So young people, in the, and young is anything under 40, all right? As they get older, young becomes under 40. You're going to be living in the world of visions. You're going to see visions. If you're living in the last days and God's pouring out his spirit on his church, which he is, and the old men and the old women in the church, what are you going to do? Dream dreams. Yeah. We're living in a time when we need to dream some big dreams. Any of you older people think, I'll tell you what, I'm running down, I'm just having some nice sort of dreams, cosy dreams. No, they're not the sort of dreams you should be dreaming. See, the Bible is full of vision. Visions are holy entrustments of the living God to his people, the church. And to squander vision is an unthinkable sin. When you read the Old Testament, you realize people's whole lives were changed by a vision. You remember Joseph, and we love to, we love to uh, sing about Joseph and Andrew Lloyd Webber's beautiful music. I dreamed that in the field one day the corn gave. Do you know Andrew Lloyd Webber, when he was a... Just coming up to the age of university, he was, his dad was the organist at Methodist Central Hall. And he said to his dad, can I put on a little play? I want to call it Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And after putting on that play, his dad said to him, don't go to university. I think you've got something. And history was made. Joseph, in the Old Testament, had an incredible vision of feeding the world and lived his life in the good of that vision. If you read stories of Nebuchadnezzar, a non-believer who had a vision of a statue, and Daniel came and interpreted it. You know in this week in the New Testament, it's full of dreams of the, as Jesus as the incarnation, Joseph and an angel and promises and wise men and warned in a vision. Ananias saw a vision. Saul's conversion was a vision of Jesus. And 
Agrippa. There's all kinds of pictures and stories and, and visions that are part of the story, the narrative that you can take for granted. And then you come to our day and you think, well, we don't need those. Visions are holy entrustments. Visions are important for this church to fulfill God's purposes for it. And I want to encourage you this morning to live the dream. And I want us to read in the book of Nehemiah and look how practically this can be outworked for us this morning. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Nehemiah, this will test how good you are in knowing your way around the Bible. It's one of those tricky little books. It's not quite big enough to just catch as you flick through. And the person next to you might try and give you a hand as you can't quite find it. Nehemiah chapter 1. Just to give you a little background, because you might not be... Um, that familiar with the story or, or familiar with the Bible. In 586 BC, Jerusalem has been destroyed. And uh, this was done by uh, an empire, a Babylonian empire, one of the big empires in ancient history. And they came and they, uh, they devastated the whole city. They, in fact, it became like a plowed field, parts of it. All the walls were torn down, the temple was destroyed, and they took into exile uh, the best of the land. And uh, now, many years later, uh, some people have returned and a, uh, a good-ish, but not quite as good as the last temple has been built under Ezra. And uh, news is weighted that still a scattered people, the Jews all over the ancient world are scattered. And news is coming through to a man called Nehemiah, who is a cupbearer uh, for a king in Susa, a Persian city. So chapter 1, we read these, these words. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the provinces are in great trouble and disgrace because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burnt with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then he prays. Now if you turn with me then into chapter 2, he, Nehemiah, having prayed, then goes before the king to ask for permission to go back to Jerusalem in order to do a rebuilding project. In verse 7 of chapter 2, I, I also said to the king, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple for the city wall and the resident I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. So Nehemiah is now on his horse. He's going back to Jerusalem. And in, in verse 17, he's gathered the officials, he's gathered the people, and he says to them this, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, its gates have been burnt with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king said to me. So they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. Nehemiah had a vision. And his vision was that the city of God, which was meant to be the joy of the whole earth, which was meant to be the center of worship, this city destroyed and in ruins would once again become a center of worship, once again a center where Yahweh's glory could be seen. 
and he has this vision which he's going to give his whole life to seeing fulfilled. It was a life-changing vision. But before he did that, you'll notice in, 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 in the first chapter, when he heard about the state of Jerusalem, he wept and then he prayed for many, many days for God to come upon him and let him be part of the answer and part of the solution to this question. I want to tell you that we're living in a nation which is not getting better. It's drifting and becoming more lawless, more godless. Laws are being passed and the church of Jesus Christ, which is meant to be the city on a hill, the joy of the whole earth, is very incidental, very much, a, we could almost say, it's broken down and it's in ruins. I'm uh, in London, Heather and I have moved to London, and we've gone to London because London is shutting down hundreds and hundreds of churches. Churches which once were full of the glory of God, full of the presence of God, now ruined. Being taken over for cinemas, taken over for offices, taken over or bulldozed for new development. And we're going there with, a, with faith and a vision that God wants to see a change in the city and for churches to be started, to be opened, and for new ones to be started, and for old ones to be rebuilt in order for the glory of God to be there. And there's a vision which is costly. It's a vision which you, you think, actually, I'm not going to be able to do this for a few hours a week. I've got to be there. I've got to be in the, in the heart of what's going on, and I want to give my life to something that will last forever. Now, when you look at Alton, when you look at this area around here, when you think about what's the future for this church, what do you see? That's my question to you this morning. Because if you see for the rest of your life, I'm just going to keep coming to Harvest Church every Sunday. That's going to be it. That's my life. Then you're not seeing the big picture. You're not seeing what God might do in this town for his glory and what God might do in this church for his glory. Do you know there was a young boy some years ago went to a church, Anglican church, it wheeled, wheeled of all places, heard a vicar preach the gospel and called people in the church, this tiny little church, to come forward if they wanted to become a Christian and I came forward. First time I'd ever heard the gospel in wheeled. Joined a little brethren church out in Alsford. This is my stomping ground. I know this area well. Delighted when Andrew and Emma said they were coming to Alton. I was so pleased that they came. Do you know you've got a huge blessing there? Yeah. <laughs> turn the vote. Turn your, you've got a huge blessing there. Andrew and I and Emma and Heather, we had a wonderful, we had a ball in, in uh, Bournemouth. We, we saw some incredible things in Bournemouth. Lives transformed. We saw a couple of building projects. He's a great friend. We've seen some amazing, amazing miracles. And Andrew's come here to keep building what God's begun here. And so I hope you're honoring that and receiving that and thanking God for that because leaders are such a gift to the church. So let me... Uh, let me tell you how you can dream this morning, because I want to make this really practical. And if you're, if you, some of you are older, so probably all these song titles, most of you in this congregation will know, whilst when I was fed this somewhere else, no one knows any of these. So, so let me tell you what you're not to be. The first thing you're not to be is you're not to be a daydream believer. Daydream believer and a homecoming queen. You remember monkeys singing that? Yeah, see, you do. No one else I've ever spoken to do. Um, <laughs> Now look, here's the big challenge. You can listen to a message like this and you can do absolutely nothing. In fact, some of you are already deciding to do absolutely nothing with this message. Because Nehemiah could have said, I'm comfortable. I'm in the presence of the king. I am holding a very important office, prime minister if you like, 
cupbearer, taster, wine taster of the king, making sure the king is well served. I've got my pension plans. I've got my future. I don't want to upset things. I'm just going to keep things the status quo. Now, God forbid, as believers, we live our life safe. We were never meant to live safe. We're always meant to be living on the edge and trusting God for the next breakthrough, the next miracle, the next provision. We're always meant to be living by faith. We don't live by sight. We live by faith. We're living in this dynamic that the world doesn't understand because we're trusting an almighty, good, heavenly God, Father who's for us and therefore we can throw away our money. We can invest it. We can live on the edge of the gospel breakthrough all the time. That's how we're meant to live. But you could be a daydream believer. 70% of the UK adult population does the lottery. Did you know that? 32 million people every week putting money into the lottery. Why? Why? I want to I have a yacht. I want to get rich. I want to travel the world. I'm just dreaming for that dream, that big dream. And for 31 point whatever million, it's never going to happen. Just putting money into Money into a hole, into a bucket with holes in. You may be someone who's here is dreaming of a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a family. You may be dreaming of a slower day, a car, a boat, a holiday. You may be a daydream believer just thinking, just living for my retirement, just living. I've only got another five years. I just want to get over that edge and then I can take life easy. You weren't meant to take life easy. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. There isn't. We're all full-timers, you know that. I hope you know that. I'm serving you in your full-time capacity. I'm not a full-timer, you're the full-timers, and I'm here to help you do your job well. The other way we can dream, Tom and Jerry there, you know, there's three dreams that British people dream more than any other dream. One is your teeth fall out. I mean, I'm not going to go for a show of hands this morning. One, is, one of the most common is that you're falling off a cliff. I've had that one. You wake up in bed, and your wife goes, what on earth was that? Oh, just falling off a cliff. So nice to be back in bed. And here's one I've never had, but you probably have, because it is one of the most common ones, is you show up to work naked. (laughs) Or to school. Now, I haven't had that one, but... uh, uh, there's a ministry time afterwards for <laughs> people imagining or non-imagining others having that dream. So I want to ask you, are you a daydream believer? Are you someone who is just dreaming the same dreams the world is dreaming? Or are you dreaming bigger? See, T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia fame, said, All men dream, but not equally. He said, Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake in the day to find that it was vanity. He said, but the dreamers of the day are dangerous men and women, for they may act out on their dreams with open eyes to make them possible. We're not dreamers of the night, waking up and going, oh, that was a bit too much cheese last night. We're dreamers of the day. We're men and women who are meant to see something of God's picture for the future, for autumn, for this church, and we work out our dreams with a purpose and a reality, with wide open eyes, to see them happen. God wants to save loads of people in autumn. Amen? Do you know who's going to use? You. Every one of you. He wants to use every one of you. He wants every one of you to be bringing people in. He's going he's to transform the, the whole business community, the whole way in which work is carried out in Alton through you. By you doing work in God's way, in God's kingdom. He's going to transform Alton to make this place a city on a hill. It is on a hill, isn't it? Where people come flocking in because they know God is here. God by his Holy Spirit. And there are signs and wonders and miracles. People's bodies are being healed because God is in this place. Amen? Amen. That's the sort of vision we're living for, we're reaching for in God. We're not daydream believers. Who cares if you get rich? 
I mean, God does bless Christians and make some Christians rich. Praise God. But it's only so that you give it away and help the rest of the body to keep doing what it's doing. So you're not a daydream believer. So the second thing I want to talk about this morning is I dreamed a dream. I dreamed a dream in times gone by when hope was high and life worth living. How many of you have seen Les Mis? Yeah, I could tell it would be a well-schooled church, this one. <laughs> I've seen it twice. I love it. So moved, aren't you? Every time you watch that incredible grace, Jean Valjean and Javert. I love it. I love that story. It's such a beautiful, beautiful story. Nehemiah had a dream. But here's the, here's the really important thing you get hold of this this morning. Nehemiah, before he dreamt, dreamt forward, dreamt backwards. I want to say this to you. If you want to dream the dreams of God, you have to go back before you go forward. When he prays, in chapter 1, he prays God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He prays, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. He tells God history that God well knows about. God wasn't going... Oh, I forgot all about that, Nehemiah. Thank you so much. I forgot about Moses. I forgot about creation. Now, thank you for reminding me. No, Nehemiah is aligning himself to God's eternal plan, God's eternal vision, and in doing so, he's finding himself caught up in that vision. His dream, Nehemiah's dream, was for the glory of God. And for that to happen, Nehemiah has to step into God's dream before he's given his own dream. Now, I really like complex theology and Bible teachers who are really clever. But I thought this morning I'm going to be really clever with some kids' toys. In fact, the most basic of all toys you can get, because I'm sure most of you who are parents or grandparents have got a set of these. They're quite good, aren't they? They're quite tactile and quite clever. We all know how to build towers, don't we? We all try to sort of build it upside down and wrong way round, and, and then it all goes falling, falling down like that, and uh, thinking, oh, it, and the kids love knocking it over. But I want to use this as an illustration this morning, and I want you to try and, I hope it, you'll be able to remember it. I want you to think that this is your life. Okay, this is your life. And uh, God wants your life to be here. But in reality, you're here. God wants your life to be fruitful. God wants to bless your life. God wants you to be a, a, a reaper. God wants you to have people who are being saved. God wants you to be a, a life transformer. And sadly, you're somehow caught up in this and you're not actually released to be all that you can be in God. Well, I want to help you this morning in terms of these cups. Because in order for you to be fulfilled, in order for you to flow in God's eternal plan and purpose for your life and for your church, we need to align these cups correctly. So let me do that for you and then I'll show you how you fit into it. The first place to begin is right at the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1. God created Adam and Eve. God created man and woman, and he put them on the earth. And he said to them, here's a commission. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue. That's a good vision. Thank you, God. That's a great vision. There's Adam, Eve, naked, unashamed. God's saying, have plenty of sex. Have plenty of fun. Here's an untamed world, and you're going to tame it. You're going to form pathways. You're going to form orchards. You're going to be horticulturists. You're going to be biologists, naturalists. You're going to do all this stuff, and you're going to bring order to this beautiful, perfect world I've created. And by the way, there's a tree in the center, the tree of life, and you're free to eat that. But there is another tree that you're not free to eat. It's the one tree you can't eat, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat that you will die. You'll bring a curse upon the earth. So right at the beginning, God has a plan. You know that. God has a plan for the earth. 
Still has. He hasn't forgotten it. Don't, whatever you do as Christians, ever think that when you die, you're going to be on a cloud for all eternity playing a harp. You're not. Sorry, if that's been your dream, you're not. You're going to be on a world, a recreated world, a beautiful world. You're going to have work to do. So God, in his eternal plan, created. And then secondly, building on this, God talks to a man, a man called Abraham, or Abraham. He calls a pagan and he says, look up into the skies, look at the sand on the seashore. I want to tell you, Abraham, so shall your offspring be. God has a plan for a people for himself. In order to redeem that people for himself, Abraham was called to sacrifice his one and only son. And through that sacrifice, God's eternal plans to bless the whole world, all the nations of the world, with a people for himself, was starting to be outworked. Of course, the Old Testament, it's a, it's a shadow, and there's prophet promises and prophecies, there's all kinds of men and women who walking through faith are looking for God's great unfolding of his vision and his plan. And it's not until we get to the New Testament when Jesus comes to the age of 30 and he goes to the uh, tabernacle, he opens the scroll at Isaiah 61 and he says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. God has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he turns around to the people that gather and says, today, in this place, this scripture has been fulfilled. All of God's promises now are being fulfilled in and through me. Jesus gathers 12 disciples. And he says to those disciples on occasion, who do men say that I am? And of course, they being very... Ordinary men said, well, you know, there's the rumor that you're a, a prophet like Jeremiah. You're, you're one of the big guys. Some even talking about John the Baptist. You know, you're on a par with him. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, in a moment of wonderful, God, Holy Spirit-given revelation, looks at Jesus and goes, you're him. You're him. You're the promised one. You, you're the second Adam. You, you're the anointed one. You're the God's Messiah. You're the one who's going to bring all God's purposes to fulfillment through you. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, because on this statement, on this confession, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. And so Jesus releases his 12, releases his disciples. He get, gathers them after his resurrection, after they've seen him and touched him and beholded him, beheld him that, and said to them, all authority has been given to me. And I'm now saying to you, go. Go into all the nations and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Son, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so the disciples go, Woo! We've got all authority. We're going to do this mission. We've got a vision to transform the world that all the nations are going to be blessed through Christ. God is going to have a people for himself. And Jesus says, Just hang on a sec. Hang on a sec, guys. I want to say to you this morning, before you run out of this door this morning, hang on a sec. You've got to wait. Wait in Jerusalem. For what? Wait until you've been clothed with power from on high. You will be my witnesses, Acts 1.8. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. In order to fulfill the vision, the mission, guys, you cannot do it without God. You cannot do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we read in Ephesians 4, the ascended Christ, 
in that place of glory gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers in order to equip God's people for their works of service. In other words, church, you cannot do the vision, you cannot fulfill God's purposes without gifts of the Holy Spirit Jesus has given to his church in order to get the job done. And then we come upon the church. You see, the church is not an incidental to God's vision and to God's purposes. The church is the joy, the hope of the world. That's why Peter could write in 1 Peter 5.1 to the elders the shepherds of God's flock, tell them that they are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God. The church is incredibly important. It's the bride of Christ. It's the new community on earth. It's not some incidental who cares about the church. The church is where God is. It's the new temple. It's the new powerhouse of where God is in any community, the local church. You should be saying to someone on the streets of Alton, hey, I've never experienced God. Hey, I've never even known there was a God. Well, come to Harvest Church on Sunday because God is going to be there. He's guaranteed to turn up. Two or three only have to gather. And Jesus promises to be present by his spirit here. Please, please, never, ever say to me, oh, I couldn't care less about the church. I'm just interested in my life as a Christian. God is interested in the church. Jesus is building something of eternity on earth, and it's called his church. I will build my church. And it's glorious. Heather and I get the privilege of traveling all over the world and seeing the church. It is glorious. Oh, it's different colored faces. It's different ages. And it is glorious. Once they weren't a people, now they are a people. They're the people of God. And every experience I've ever had in a slum of Mumbai, I can go to a church in the slum of Mumbai. I've seen Slumdog Millionaire. I've been to a church on that slum, Darabi, the second biggest slum in the world, right in the heart of it, is a church, a commissioned church. Poorest of the poor, yet the presence of God, as powerful and present as it is here this morning. It's glorious. And then we come to you. Can you remember the centurion, Luke 7? He said, look, look my servant seal. It looks quite serious. Any chance that you could, you know, maybe... Heal him. Jesus says, hang on, I'm just going to pack my bags. And No, 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 you don't need to come. I'm in the Roman army. I know how authority works. Authority works like this. There's an authority that is at the beginning and right at the beginning, and that Caesar's authority. And everybody who aligns to that authority, they, because they're obedient, because they're outworking that same alignment of authority, we just have to say the word, and all of Rome is conferred on our words. So when it comes to your life, brother and sister in this room, you are a full-time worker, full-time missionary, full-time servant of Jesus Christ. And God is interested in your life. God has a plan for your life, and it's to be a fruitful life. It's to bear fruit in every situation. So are you dreaming God's dreams? You see, if you take an individual and say, no, I'm going to start with the individual and then try and build all this on top of that, it will fall down. I see many people say, I don't, I don't need the church. We'll take that out. And the whole tower comes tumbling down. I don't need apostolic... I've heard churches go, I don't need apostolic authority. I don't need apostolic ministry. We're doing fine. Lots of little churches are dying in the UK. Why? Because they're not caught up in God's big plan for the world. They think they just exist for themselves. For cups of tea and coffee and a nice little time on a Sunday. You don't. You're the salt of the earth. And salt needs to be rubbed into the rotting, decaying flesh of society to transform it. So are you dreaming God's dreams? And let me finish by saying this. To dream the impossible dream. I can't imagine what it was like for Nehemiah when he actually arrived at Jerusalem and went, oh, it's worse than I thought. <laughs> and if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you young people probably are, 
Certainty of, this is uh, Gimli, when they've given their vision. Certainty of death, small chance of success. Well, what were you waiting for? In 1963, Martin Luther King famously spoke of a dream. I have a dream. An impossible dream. A dream that was laughed at and ridiculed and a dream that actually became reality. So let me just go through the impossible dream for you. Because I have a dream for you. See, I'm not coming here this morning to preach. I'm not here to rabble rouse and cause you all to get excited or angry. I'm here to say, I'm here to tell you God has a plan for your life. And I have a dream for you in Alton. I have a dream for every one of you. Some of you say, I don't even know who you are. That's fine. I'm still praying for you. And I dream that you would know who you were in God. That you'd know the love of a father. You'd know the intimacy of the Holy Spirit. That you'd know God has a plan for you. It's a good plan. And that plan will work out. God wants you to know his joy. God wants you to know his peace. God wants you to know that whatever you go through, whatever circumstance, even if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, goodness and mercy are following you because you're his child and none can take you out of his hands. I have a dream for every church. I have a dream for this church. My dream as I came here this morning is that this church would think, hang on, Alton needs saving. Alton's nicely well-heeled and comfortable, but it needs to be shaken. And the way it's going to be shaken is because of the church. The church, I, I dream that you will fall more in love with God's church this morning. That if it's only been something you come to once a week or once a month, that you would just say, no, 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 the church is where the party is. The church is where the presence of God is. The church is where I need to come and be discipled and equipped and trained and, and resourced to be everything I can be for God. I need to sit within the church, not outside the church. I have a dream that Harvest Church will be a key church in the life of commission. It is already maybe through a few people, but I, I dream it will be even more so. I dream this church will be part of the flourishing of commission and new frontiers. We've got over 1,000, 2,000 churches around the world now, new frontiers has. There is fire spreading across the nations. There are huge numbers of baptisms being experienced across even commission in these last two or three months. We're part of a family. We weren't called to be on our own as a church. I don't care about anybody else. I'm an independent evangelical church. You are never called to be independent. You're always called to be interdependent. And you need to sit within the apostolic family because the apostolic isn't there to do something for you instead of you. I mean, it's there to do something for you. It's not something out there. Oh, what's Guy and Heather doing? I couldn't care less what Guy and Heather doing. No, Guy and Heather are about equipping the church for its work of service so that we all grow up and all become mature and all fulfill God's purposes for our life. I have a dream that you will be witnesses. Not one or two of you good at evangelism, but witnesses. Every one of you a witness. I'm not saying every one of you brings someone to Christ. God does that. I'm saying every one of you a witness. You haven't got to work anything up. You've just got to be who you are. You can do that, can't you? person next to you in, this, on the, in the school. I said to a person on the streets a few weeks ago in Victoria, hey, how do, you, how do you fancy coming to church with me? He's been coming for the last few weeks. Hasn't become a Christian yet. I'm a witness. I'm a witness to saying, come to church and you'll encounter Jesus. Every one of us, not a few of us, every one of us in as witnesses. You up for that? Not so many of this time. The Great Commission. I have a dream that you will hear this morning Jesus' words, all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth is given to me and I'm giving you that very same authority to do what? Well, to, to, to make disciples and to, and to fill the world with this gospel. Are you making a disciple? 
older people, you, there's a lie of the devil, I just want to break it this morning, that says, uh, if you're old, the young people aren't going to be interested in you. You've got to be kidding. They want to know, how, how do you read your Bible? How do you get up every day and pray? How do you, how do you keep going? How, how are you so faithful? Young people need to hear your voice. You need to grab hold of them. You don't need to wait for them one day. Maybe they'll ask me one day. You need to go and grab hold of them. Make disciples. It sits. We all sit within this. You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said what to his disciples? He said to Peter, on this rock I'm going to build my church and I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. So the kingdom is bigger than the church. The keys of the kingdom are doing what Jesus did on earth. We're doing it, every one of us. So every one of us are inside this calling. So you and I, and this takes some guts, you and I are to do kingdom stuff in here, but actually most of our kingdom stuff is out there. That means we are brilliant employees or employers. So you've got a cake business. Being a great Christian is not to bake a hot cross bun with a little cross on the bottom of it and putting a text in a piece of paper in the middle of it so they catch their teeth on it going, Jesus loves you. No, to be a baker for Jesus is to make the best cakes in autumn. To be the best employer in autumn. Are you the best neighbor? <clears throat> are you a neighbor from hell or are you a neighbor from heaven? You should be a neighbor from heaven. You know, our na- our, this is not, I am boasting, but our neighbors have both said, both sides of us said, we really miss you now you're in London. We really, really miss you. I love that. We're not preaching the gospel and every time we see them, we're just loving them as Jesus loved people. We're on this great commission. We are kingdom agents. To do this, what do we need? If we're going to live what Guy's saying this morning, what do we all need? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is on me and he has anointed me to preach good news. You cannot do the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And if your experience of the Holy Spirit is seven years old, you're out of date. I'm feeling a bit dry. Did you hear that Aaron's word? Streams, rivers. Get into the river. Don't go ankle deep. Come on, get in a bit deeper. Some of you need to get in this morning, don't you? Some of you need to get really in this morning. We belong, brothers and sisters, you need to know this. We belong to a global family. All around the world, this gospel is bearing fruit. All around the world, it is. It's glorious. In India at the moment, there's huge persecution. Do you know that? Brothers and sisters dying because they're being converted out of Hinduism and they're saying Jesus is the only way. They're dying because of their faith. And yet the church is spreading massively in India today. We're part of Abraham's promise. The death of of God's own son has ensured that that harvest will be had from every tribe and nation. We sit inside that. And we sit inside the creation promise, which is quite godly in a funny sort of way. That Aaron should actually read from Revelation 22, because I just want to finish with this. In fact, probably mess up the PowerPoint, so ignore the PowerPoint from here on. Because in Revelation 22, you come to the final part of the story. So we're in the middle of the story or towards the end of the story. And the right end of the story tells us this, that there is a time Jesus stands up in heaven. The Father knows what time that is. And Jesus comes again. And that's the end of all things. The dead in Christ will be raised first up there to meet him. Those of us who are still alive will go up there as well. But we don't go up there and stay up there. We come back down onto heaven as God recreates this world and he brings perfect beauty. And that picture of Revelation 22, where the tree of life is either side of the river, 
that leaves for the healing of the nation. There's no more sickness, no more death, no more suffering, no more sin. We are in the presence of God and right down the middle of the street. I don't know how it quite works out in your mind, but a river flows. The river which is for the healing of the nations. The river which is the life of the Holy Spirit. The river which is Ezekiel's promise that would flow to the ends of the earth. We're in that river. And we see him face to face. And oh, what a glorious day. What a fantastic day. That's what we're living for. We're going to see him forever. He's going to be the light of the world. We don't need a sun. He'll so outclips the sun. And we'll live in his presence and we'll have new bodies, beautiful bodies. Have you ever thought you've been a bit super spiritual and think we all go to become sort of like, we have new bodies. Jesus' resurrected body, we have one like it. They can walk through walls, they can run and not grow weary. We have a glorious future which has been won for Christ. It's guaranteed. Therefore, today, we live with a vision for that day and live for... We want to take as many people with us into that glorious place as we possibly can today. Amen? So what is your response to this message? Are you aligned? There's individualism in our nation. And it's not with the young. It's with every age. Everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes. It's a high time we start and align ourselves with God's big picture, with God's church, with God's leaders, with God's vision, in order to realize, because this is how I will be fruitful. This is how I will be everything God put me on the earth for. I need all this other stuff to do this. Align yourself and you'll fulfill God's picture and promises for your life. You'll be fruitful tree. Do you need to align this morning? If you're independent, if you're a bit of a do-it-yourself, never listen to anybody, just run off and do your own thing, you know I'm speaking to, or the Holy Spirit speaking to this morning. And then, have you, are you clear-sighted that God wants to make you a blessing to the world? Are you in the Spirit this morning? You need to be filled with the Spirit this morning. Maybe as the band comes up in one minute's time, we're going to just pray for people to be filled with the Spirit and just know that joy of God. And if you are saying to me this morning, I couldn't care less, then you need to be in the river. (coughs) If you are dry this morning, you need to be in the river. Will you this morning give yourself fully to God? for this great vision he has for you. So let's just, this is the scary bit. Everyone, you should be scared at this point. This is when we just ask the Holy Spirit to say anything more that he wants to do over and above what's been said. Just feel, Andrew, why don't the band come up? Andrew, I just feel for you this morning... I see a bit of driftwood coming down a stream. It comes over a waterfall and it ends up in an eddy. If you ever go to a waterfall, you always find there's eddies on the side and wood can sit there forever. And then it just takes a little change in water level and and suddenly that driftwood comes free and it's going down. And I feel God says, you're like this bit of driftwood. And I'm taking you and I'm putting you, and I'm not putting you on the side of the river, I'm putting you in the middle of the river. And it's going to be a a white-knuckle raft ride your life from now on. Because God wants you to live in the fullness of the Spirit. He wants you to live in the fullness of His joy. He doesn't want you thinking back of, hey, what was, what was going on there? No, it's what's ahead which God is putting your attention on this morning. He has got a great plan for your life. And I want to say to you as a church, because I pray for this church, and I, I felt this morning coming, you know you've got the Watercrest line, you've got the old, and you've got the London line, which I'm catching this afternoon back to London. I believe there's an old and new connection. I believe God says it's not one or other, it's both. And I, he wants to speak to you, and this is not just to Andrew and the elders here this morning. He wants to speak to you. There's some stations he wants to have reopened. There's some churches that he wants to reopen. Maybe in Four Marks or Allsford, I don't know, all the, you know, Chorton, I don't know where all the different towns and villages where churches have been or maybe are closing, and he's going to use you. You're going to meet somebody and you're going to say, hey, why don't we start something here? There's going to be churches reopened because of people in this room this morning. 
And there's some carriages to be added. There's two new leaders, two new carriages that God wants to add to this church. It's new sort of carriages, it's new ways of doing things, it's new leadership, it's new space for a new group of people to get on board. And God wants to see, prepare all of you. There's a whole group of people. Maybe they not look like you. Maybe they're different colour for you. Maybe they're different age to you. And they're going to get on board. And you're not going to go, who on earth are these? I'll love them after 10 years. No, no, you're going to love them straight away because God's already spoken to you. He has many people in Alton to be saved. And he's going to start that. And you're going to welcome them when they come in here. And you're going to create space for them. You need leaders in order to create that space. And God's saying, I want you to get ready for that. Because it's the old line and it's the new line. You're not an old church and you're not a brand new church. You're both. And you can hold both in perfect tension. Why don't you stand? I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for this precious church. I thank you, Lord, for every evidence of grace, every member here, every person who's loving you and following you. And I pray this morning, Lord, for alignment. I just break any independent spirit, any... Any spirit that says, I don't need you, if one part of the body says, I don't need you, Lord, we all need each other. And I pray something of that would, word of the Holy Spirit would just convict people of independence and selfishness and sin and pride. And Lord, we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. We give ourselves fully to you and to one another. And I pray, Lord, for those, of those and I'm sure there'll be at least 10 or 12 people here who are dry who just have heard that word of Aaron's and want to get in the river this morning. I pray for courage to get in the river this morning. And I pray that you'd fill them with your spirit and they'd be carried along in your promises and your purposes. Lord, pour out your spirit on this church. May it be a church renowned. This is where the spirit is poured out Sunday by Sunday. Lord, I pray what begin something amazing here this morning. Give us the vision you have for this church, Lord. Hundreds more people being saved, Lord. Hundreds and hundreds in Alton, new churches around. I pray, give us the vision and let us be obedient to seeing it brought in. Lord, we're doing it in the light of that final day when we want to hear your well done, good and faithful. So Lord, let your spirit be on this word and let it bring life to every heart, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship him again. If you need to respond, I don't know where you normally come. Come down here. Come down to the front and there'll be elders and Heather and I would love to pray for you. If you're saying, actually, I just want to have business with God this morning. I just want to be filled with the Spirit this morning. Do come down as we sing this song. I'm aware I've probably just run over time. So please do make your way immediately, not take 10 minutes to make up your mind.